those of you who are watching on the live stream. I want to, before we dive into the text, uh, just give you a 90-second political exhortation. How's that? Got your attention, didn't I? Yes, I did. (laughs) Uh, We sent out an email this week from Florida Family Policy Council. They put together a little voter's guide. We use that guide. We uh, make that available every time they provide that guide. Please don't misunderstand our intent with the guide. It's It is simply a guide. It's not us telling you how to vote. We don't think that would be our role to do so. Um, Many of you over the years have appreciated receiving the guide because it does provide information and um, it's helpful. Um, uh, But I also assume not everybody wants that information or um, not everybody needs that information because you're doing your own research and we would absolutely um, recommend that. If the guide is not helpful to you, kick it to the curb, (laughs) meaning delete it. Um, We are not offended. In all things related to this coming November, four quick points. Number one, keep your eyes on Christ. He's our only hope. Number two, make every effort to keep the peace, the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Ephesians 4. Number three, the gospel, not Mr. Biden, not Mr. Trump, the gospel, not the constitution, the gospel, not capitalism, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. He came and died and gave us eternal life. It is the gospel for which is our hope. Number four, therefore, we do not need to fear. We do not need to be anxious, right? Paul to the Philippians, for anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. All right? So, 90 seconds. There's your political exhortation. Glad I've got your attention now. All right. So, to our text. The big idea is the far-reaching extent of the victorious, anointed, conquering king. That's where we're going this morning. Before we dive into that, I want to read to you from Ray Ortland Jr. as he writes about revival. He says this, revival is often misunderstood. When you drive by a church displaying a sign, quote, revival here next week, you can bet there won't be a revival there next week. Revival can't be scheduled. True revival is the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing over a church. The wind blows where it wants to. We hear its sound, but we don't know where it comes from or where it goes. We're just grateful when the wind blows our way. What is revival? True revival is God coming down among us, visiting us, dwelling among us in his glory, overflowing into our need. Revival is the manifest presence of God, the immediacy of God, the kiss of God, the nearness of God in his goodness and power. Revival is a time of refreshing, From the presence of the Lord, it is a season in the life of the church when God causes the normal ministry of the gospel to surge forward with extraordinary spiritual power. It is not foolish hysterics. It is God becoming overwhelmingly real to us. So well put. Have you enjoyed this series in the book of Isaiah? I hope you have. I have loved this series in the book of Isaiah. Here's the thing. Now we've finally gotten to the good part. 56 through 66. Here we go. It's 
going to be a fun ride to the end. I want to give you a couple rungs on the ladder, just some handles to think through. We've done this throughout the series, but just a reminder, big picture Isaiah, really big, broad picture of Isaiah. First of all, chapters 1 through 39 are about the king. It's it's, it's, it's the king. It's the, it's the justice of God. It's the judgment of God. And we, we were um, regularly pointing out in those chapters, it's not just judgment, God, God bringing judgment for sin. It was certainly that, but it was a gracious judgment, meaning it was the sort of judgment that was the opportunity for God's people to what? Repent. It was the, the activity of the king that was to um, bring this discipline on the people, the judgment on the people, rather than leaving them to themselves to continue um, in their ways, it was a judgment to call them to repentance, all right? He's the king. It was about the king. The second section, chapters 40 through 55, which we finished last week, was about the suffering servant king. And here Isaiah is looking to the future of Christ who will come, the suffering servant king who will come. And for us today, we look to the past, the suffering servant king who came, right? And so our world is broken, but the suffering servant king, he's prophesying of that day, will come and save the world from its broken sin. But to do so, the suffering servant king, well, he will suffer. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant king will become, well, he will come again. And that's the section we're in now. And he will come again the second time as a conquering, victorious, anointed king. All right, so that's where we're headed starting this morning. We might call these chapters revival chapters or restoring chapters or renewing chapters. It is God restoring his people to himself and it's written to us this side of eternity. The people then, the people now looking to the second coming of Christ, this anointed, victorious, conquering king. And in the midst of their exile to Babylon, They're being reminded, oh, Christ will come, suffering servant, and he will come, anointed, conquering king. And in the midst of our stuff of our day, pandemics and social unrest, we're to be reminded that there will be a day when the victorious, conquering king will come again to his people, his bride, his church. So let's pause and pray, and we'll dive into this. Oh God, give us grace right now for the preaching of your word. Help, help me to preach. Help us to listen. Help us to be responders to the truths herein. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We begin with a soon people. A soon people. Verse number one again. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness for soon my salvation will come. I call this, we are a soon people. We are a people who will soon see the salvation of the Lord. 
What Isaiah is doing there is he's telling them and us that there will be a day of this victorious, this being the first verse of this big section of the victorious conquering king, anointed king who will come soon. And what he's doing here is he's telling us about this future event to drive, like that, that, that's that, like to say that future grace drives today grace, right? Future grace, here there is a coming king drives right now this, keep justice and do righteousness right now. And that's grace. Future grace drives today's grace. And for, for, for Isaiah, the reason to keep justice and do righteousness, well, he tells us, keep justice, do righteousness for or because soon my salvation will come. We are a soon people. And I love that he calls it my salvation. I don't know, Justin, if you read ahead into the text, and that's why we picked that song. Was that on purpose? Wow. So it was not on purpose. That was pretty timely as we're singing, the Lord is my salvation. I'm thinking, wow, we are fixing to preach, the Lord is my salvation. He's my salvation. Is he your salvation? And it's, and it's his salvation, right? The Lord is is my salvation. He, he is the savior and it's, and it's my righteousness will be revealed. Christ, imagine this. There will be a day where we will stand before Christ and his righteousness will be on full display before you. Perfect righteousness revealed without flaw. You talk about bright as the day sun, right? Like blinding glory when you think of the perfect righteousness of Christ. His perfect atoning righteousness, full display before us. And his salvation, my salvation will come. It's to say his salvation, it's gonna come. His salvation is effective. His salvation will take place. There will be a day where there will be final rescue for the saints. He will deliver you. And so to the saints of that day, as they're, the people of God are suffering in a Babylonian captivity, right? What do they need to hear? There's a day of final salvation where Christ's righteousness will be revealed. And so in the midst of your exile, do justice and keep righteousness. And for us today, in the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of the social unrest, in the middle of 2020, right? What is the word of God to us? It is, it is Christ's salvation will come and his righteousness will be revealed. And because it will, in the midst of this right now, do justice, keep righteousness. This is not moralism. This is not do religious duty. This is respond to the glories of the conquering victorious king. This will happen. There will be a day where he will end the pandemic, not of COVID. There will be a day he will end the pandemic of sin and death. 
So keep justice and do righteousness right now. But you know what, church? We get lost in the weeds. We easily get sidetracked in all the bickering, in all the political maneuvering, in the endless social, social media squabbling. And I'm concerned for the church today. Broadly speaking, I'm concerned because I think the church today is too easily distracted. We take the, our eye off the ball. Too many are missing the point of the suffering. Too many are, well, sick of it all. And so I'm just gonna complain, complain, complain. Reminds us, right? Israel's 40 years in the wilderness and their constant complaint. Others, you're not complaining. You're just angry, <laughs> angry. And I'm just gonna let you have it. I'm gonna spout off and I'm gonna let you know you need to get your head out of the sand. <laughs> We're easily distracted. Others are scared, scared of what's going on. And so we're gonna curl up in the fetal position, crawl into our cave, and we're just gonna wait until all this is over. And mission and pursuit of God in pursuit of community, it's all on hold until all this is over because I'm afraid. I think if the Apostle Paul were here, he would tell us, strive for Christ right in the midst of what you're going through. He said to Timothy at the end of his own life, he said, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It's a good word for us today in the midst of all that's going on. Fight the good fight of the faith. So in light of the soon, my salvation will come. And in light of my righteousness will be revealed. He's saying right now, keep justice, do righteousness. It's a call for us to keep going, continue in Christ. And then verse two is a call to be restfully busy. How's that? Restfully busy. I don't know if that's an oxymoron or if that's a paradox. I'm not sure what we call that. You feel free to shout it out if you know what it is, but it's... It's not a conflict. Verse two, blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. This is a call to be restfully busy. That is Sabbath, new covenant living. All right, track with me here. We're still a people of Sabbath rest. Did you know that? We're still a people of Sabbath rest. This is how new covenant people rest. We rest in the work of Christ. His activity, not ours, saves us. He worked that we might now rest from our works of salvation. So Christ says in Matthew 11, come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden and what? I will give you rest. Christ is the living Sabbath. He is the living rest. The Sabbath is not the day. The Sabbath is the person of Jesus Christ. The thing is, we're always... We're always self-atoning, right? We've preached this so many times here. We will continue to do so. We're always smuggling our character into our salvation. We're always trying to bring something to the party of our salvation. And when we do, we are working for our salvation and we have abandoned grace. We cannot earn grace. Grace in its very nature is unearnable. Grace is given. We can receive grace. But the thing is, as sinners, the idea of grace still baffles us. And we still want to work. We still want to earn something. We still want to contribute something to our salvation. We can sing in Christ alone, but doggone it, everybody knows Christ needs my help a little bit, is how we sinfully think. The call here is to a Sabbath rest. It's to rest in the work that is not your own. It is to rest in the work that Christ has accomplished for you. Christ's work to save you so that you and I would no longer need to work to save ourselves so that we can now rest in the what? Finished work of Jesus Christ. He worked that we might rest. It's not that we don't work. We do work, but it's a different kind of work. It's a restful work. It's not a work to earn. It's a work because we've received. And so it's a restful work. It's a working, but not earning. It's driven by grace rather than effort to earn grace as if we could. One is a type of working that is a striving to gain God's favor. The other is also working, but it doesn't strive because it's been given God's favor. It simply rests in God's favor. So we continue then, right, to work. That's verse one. Keep justice, do righteousness. That's work, but it's a restful work. Because as you do those two things, there's nothing about that that you're striving to gain from God. You've already been given his grace, his mercy. So rest as you work. Work without seeking to earn. Work without seeking to manipulate God. Work without seeking to twist God's arm to gain his favor. So rest in the work that Christ provides. This is the far extent far-reaching extent of the victorious, anointed, conquering king. So we're a soon people. Number two is we're a worldwide people. Wow, do I love this next section. We were supposed to preach all of 56 today. It just is not possible. So I split it up this week. (laughs) So verse three, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. This is what flows out of verse one, my salvation. This is what flows out of the work of the suffering servant king. 
This is the victorious king at work. And this is the extent or the length of which the worldwide blessing of God flows. Or we could say, this is revival. Remember, he has issued a call in chapter 54 that the barren one is to sing. And in chapter 55, come, you who are thirsty, right? Come join the banquet table of God and eat and drink without price. Why? Because Christ has paid the price. He's made that possible. That's Isaiah 53. And it's a broad call here, the foreigner and the eunuch. God fishes with a big net. The foreigner was an outsider. The eunuch was usually an emasculated male who had been emasculated so that he could watch over the king's harem of wives. The gist being that this would be a emasculated man. He could be trusted with the ladies. You get the point. A eunuch was viewed in this culture as a worthless being, having no value. He had no life. He could not have a wife. And of course, he could never have children. His name would die when he died. He would be cut off from the people of God. And in verse five, Let me back up, verse four. Look at it with me. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. And I will give them, the eunuch, an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. This is the far reaching extent of the worldwide mission of God. The eunuch is not going to be cut off. The eunuch is not going to die without a name. He will be given an everlasting name. The worthless. (laughs) Remember in Acts 8, we preached it a little over a month ago, or we referred to it. It's the Ethiopian eunuch, right? That's riding along and comes upon Philip. Philip asks him, what are you reading? Well, he's reading Isaiah 53. And he's asked, do you understand what you're, how can I understand? And Philip explains to him the gospel from Isaiah 53. And he repents. He is saved. He is baptized. This was an Ethiopian eunuch. Details that aren't just kind of tossed on the page for no reason, right? He's an Ethiopian, meaning he's a foreigner. You're not welcome in our circles. He's a eunuch, meaning he's marred. You are doubly unwelcome as an individual in our circles, This was, of all things, in the book of Acts, the first foreigner to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. The first non-Jew to come to saving faith 
in the book of Acts is the Ethiopian eunuch, the doubly unacceptable in our circle, first individual in the book of Acts. And it's like, it's like, if you will, if the gospel is a dam and it's holding back the waters, it's like the Ethiopian eunuch is God just sticking his finger in the dam and water begins to spew out. And the further you read into Acts, the more the bricks and the mortar begins to crumble. And that dam, that hole begins to spew larger and larger. And eventually the whole dam just bursts forward in gospel activity in the book of Acts. Friends, you understand you're here today because the dam blew open. This is the wide, far-reaching extent of the mission of God. We are a part of this people. We are the foreigner. The foreigner would not have felt welcomed. Look at verse 6. And the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples, the far extent, far-reaching extent of the people of God is on display. This is revival. The foreigner would not have felt welcomed. The foreigner would have felt severely rejected as an unconverted foreigner. Or if perhaps converted, because that did take place in the Old Testament, foreigners were converted the foreigner would have, the converted foreigner would have felt accepted but not welcomed. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you, you can come in if we just make it today. You can come into our building, but you're not a full member. Um, you're a second-rate citizen. This is why the gospel just explodes in Ephesians this so speaks to the racism of our day. They would have felt less than fully welcome. Side note, it's why, it's why hospitality is such a thing in the New Testament. It's not just have a friend over for coffee and cake. It's open your house to the foreigner that they should, be, they should be made to be welcomed into your house. It's what God's doing with his house here in the text. They are fully welcomed people into the house of prayer, the house of God. Today, we like our tribalism. We like our political parties that separate us that keep us separated. We like our divisions. We like our prejudices. We like our racism. We like our division. And here's why. Because we like our pride. We like our pride. We not only think we're right, but we think those other people are not only not right, they're just ignorant. 
the language of the social media is they're stupid, they're idiots, their heads in their sand. And we have been called by God to enlighten them. Oh, Lord, help us. To tell them just how stupid and idiotic they are. You know, I'm not just talking about speaking to the foreigner. This is where the church has lost its way. I'm talking about even speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ. But this is what the gospel does. The foreigner isn't simply kind of welcomed somewhat, or he's not, a, he's not just allowed to be in the house of God. He is fully accepted by God. It's not that he or she is to be endured and treated lesser than. No, the beauty of the gospel is that the foreigner is fully embraced and welcomed because the foreigner is your brother or sister in the Lord. It's here that racism is absolutely crushed. You see, government will not crush racism. They can, they can enact policies. They can, they can legislate. They can suppress racism, but they can't answer racism. You can't legislate your way out of racism. You can suppress it. And the government ought to. The problem with racism isn't a political one. It's a sin one. It's a problem of sin. And political parties can't answer the sin problem. It is impotent to change the human heart. Obviously, we are to engage in the political process, but politics are shifting sand. And we are Christian. More than we're Republican, more than we're Democrat, more than we're Libertarian. We are Christian, meaning we are people of Christ. And we are a people who are anchored to the rock of our salvation. And so in the house of God, amongst the people of God, there are no second class citizens in the kingdom of God because all those who have repented and come to saving faith in Christ are equal heirs in Christ. Brothers and sisters, black and white, rich and poor, beautiful and physically marred, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so too, not just the foreigner, but the eunuch is welcome. It says what, verse, I think it was, is it five? He, yeah, at the end, he will not be cut off. Read these verses, five through seven again later on today. It's not that you, you really don't even need me this morning. You don't need me to explain it to you. This is not like decode Isaiah moment. This is like black and white on the page. What Isaiah is after through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The eunuch, the foreigner is welcome. Not kind of welcome. He is fully welcome. And listen, he is fully welcome into divine presence. And if he's welcome into divine presence, who in the world are we that we wouldn't fully welcome him or her into human presence? How ugly is the pride in our hearts? 
And all of this is driving home, if you remember back in chapter 55, verse 13, for the sake of my name is the refrain that hangs over this. It's a worldwide people. And the challenge of the church, the challenge of Christian living is that we get comfortable. We settle in. When this church was started, we were so desperate as a church. We didn't know if we were going to make it three days, three weeks, three months, three years. This week, we are celebrating our 24th birthday. Happy birthday, church. Happy birthday. August 19, um, we will turn 24. And so, but here's the thing. At different times in the life of this church, we were kind of edgy. There was a sense of just desperate evangelism, right? Like there's just a sense of, are we going to make it? We reached out to hurting people because there was this urgency. But as the church goes on over the years, it begins to settle in. That's why church plants initially, they, they, they fire off strong. Because we don't know if we're going to make it to next week. They usually open up with a bang. And the initial urgency is motivating to everyone. Here's the thing, Trinity, on our 24th birthday, we're not done. We're not done as a church. Happy birthday. And we have a lot of work to do. We have some growing up to do. We have evangelism and mission before us to the foreigner, to the eunuch meaning to the unwanted. We have mission to accomplish. We want to send more missionaries to people groups who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to plant churches. We're not done. We want to put our money into a church in Rivne, Ukraine, where they're preaching the gospel to the Ukrainians. I want to take you there. I was supposed to go this year. Let's mission more, not less. Let's not settle in. Come with me to Ukraine. Come with me to Colombia. Let's go meet with Juan Hernandez and let's meet his 900 students in Colombia. There was a trip scheduled to Bolivia to the, to the orphanage this year. Obviously, it had to be canceled, but go there. Go with me to the Netherlands. I'll take you to, to our sister church, and we'll take you downstairs where they built the showers for the refugees, the unwanted of our day. Let's mission more, not less. Let's lean into the mission, the far-reaching extent of the mission of Christ. But let me warn you, welcoming foreigners can be costly. Mission is costly. What will it cost you to mission? You know what? It's kind of like fun and exciting. Hey, let's go to the Ukraine. Let's go to Colombia. Let's go to the Netherlands. That sounds fun and exciting, but let's go across the street of our own neighbors, neighborhoods, to the waitress, 
waiters and waitresses in our city, to the barista. Let's lean into mission, but it'll cost you. It will cost you money. It will cost you time. It will cost you reputation. It will cost us as a church. Do you want a moment of honesty here? Sometimes I wanted to say to TJ and Lily, why don't you just stay? Wouldn't it be great if you stayed? Because anybody here want to be in their community group? I do. Anybody want to come to their equip class? I do. It's costly, this mission to foreigners and eunuchs, the unwanted. And it's good that they're not here. It's good that they're sent. We want to send our best. It's costly to do so. Some of you are called to go across the ocean. All of us are called to go across the street. Trinity, let's plan on another church plan because we need more, not less, gospel churches in our area. And all that sounds good. Sounds good on a website, right? Sounds good, looks good, whatever, until that actually comes to be. And we go, oh, not them. (laughs) We love church plant, just... Let's church plant without any of us going. It's costly. Why would we do that? 5513, for the sake of his name, we mission. For the foreigners among us, we mission. Rest in Christ while you serve in the church and serve each other and serve the world. Happy birthday, Trinity. We're not done yet. Don't settle in. Far-reaching extent of the victorious, anointed, conquering king. Worship team, if you would join me, I'm going to try to preach through point three really fast. A praying people. Look at verse seven again. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. This is talking about the foreigner. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Did you see the progression? Like, check out this progression of the foreigner. How welcome is the foreigner? He is welcomed to the holy mountain of God. And you remember, you you know your Old Testament, right? Do not touch the mountain of God. What's up? Well, Isaiah 53. It's through the life, death, resurrection of Christ that now the foreigner, church, this is us. We are were the foreigner, have been welcomed to the holy mountain of God. What does that mean? Are we welcomed? Are we supposed to make a, a, a pilgrimage to a mountain somewhere, the holy mountain of God? It, it, it means to the nearness of God. It's, it's where God exists. It's a picture for us to, to help us wrap our heads around. The foreigner is welcomed into the very presence of God where God lives, come. This is no longer do not touch the holy mountain of God. To do so is to die. No, Christ died in our place so that now you might have access, you might have nearness to the presence of our God. Isaiah 53 calls the sinner home. It draws the foreigner near. You are welcomed. You are welcomed into the presence of God. But the progression is my holy mountain then becomes to my what? House of prayer. You don't come to the holy mountain just to observe a mountain, just to observe God. You come to the holy mountain of God to 
participate in petitioning God, in praying to God. Friends, corporate prayer is such a privilege. Foreigners get to join together in the presence of God, calling out to God. If I could quote my friend Jeff Shank here at the front, many a times when we've gathered corporately, I'll hear him just kind of say to Paula, I just don't understand why every person is not here right now. This is such a privilege to be here. That's foreigner speech. That's what foreigners say. We don't deserve to be here or be together here calling out to God. So that's the progression. Holy mountain prayer. We're going to get back to corporate prayer soon, church. We need to get back to corporate prayer very soon, church. What an amazing joy to be welcomed into the house of God, the praying house of God. Notice it's a house. What do you think of when you think of how you think of family? We are a family of people, all welcomed into the family. Holy mountain, house of prayer, and then there's the altar. Acceptable sacrifices. We should raise our eyebrows and go, what? Acceptable sacrifices from a foreigner? But because of the sacrifice, the offering of Christ, then yes, chapter 55, come, you thirsty, drink. Chapter 54, sing, O barren one, sing. So welcome to the holy mountain, house of prayer, altar. And then he says, for all peoples. It's not a concession. It's not that God's giving a concession to the foreigners. This is fulfillment of the redemption, the redeeming power and plan of God. And Trinity This is what the church is called to be. Verse eight, the Lord does this. He's the sovereign Lord. This is revival. This is what he does through you and I, the church. He will bring the foreigners in the eunuchs and we are to welcome them in. This church is the far reaching extent of the victorious, anointed, conquering king. Stand with me and let's sing. What gift of grace is Jesus my redeemer?